Hey y'all, it is Joy Marie McKenzie and welcome to the Engagement Game, the podcast. I am so excited because this is like a dream manifested. This whole year, honestly, for me, is like a dream manifested. But um, this podcast is truly to celebrate the paperback edition of the Engagement Game, which is, if y'all don't know about it, y'all late. Y'all need to go and grab the book, but it is my memoir that talks all about how I did just about everything to get engaged, and then, Lord, that didn't work. But I eventually <laughs> found, uh, I eventually discovered that I didn't have to do anything to get a husband, but I needed to do everything to become a better wife. And so if y'all want to get down with that, please go and pick up the engagement game um, in paperback. It is out March 5th. And so this podcast is to really celebrate that. Um, and to really talk about a lot of the things that um, really stumped me on my book tour the first time around when the hardcover came out. I went all around the country to Atlanta, New York, Baltimore, Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, and talked with so many women, young and old, um, about topics in my book, um, which is Christianity, sex, dating, engagements, marriage, and there were some questions that I felt like I needed to talk more about, and so thus this podcast and so each podcast will delve even deeper into the themes of the book. Um, y'all better go pick it up. Um, and um, But the very first topic is a question that I could not get out of my mind. And of course, it happened at um, the Atlanta book tour stop. Only in Atlanta, right? Um, there was a woman in the audience, and she says, you know, your book talks a lot about sex, which it kind of doesn't. I just kind of like skirt around it. Um, but she said, so how do you feel about premarital sex? And I, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, speak for Christian women and premarital sex. And so I had the worst answer. It was like sort of a non answer answer. And I really felt bad about it. And I said, well, I really want to answer this question for Christian women and not just give them a non answer answer. And so the very first topic of this podcast is Christians and sex. Why don't we talk about it? Um, and I actually went all around New York City um, asking this question to men and women alike. And here's what they had to say. Christians don't talk about sex because it's been stigmatized not only as a sin, but as a representation of your internal flaws, right? Like when you think about women and their sexuality and doing that prior to, you know, the Christian standard of like a heterosexual committed marriage that says so much about you being incomplete, you looking for things, you giving your body up and, um, you know, and I think it's really definitely directed toward Christian women. For me, a lot of the issue with um, being a Christian or growing up Christian and sex is just like, it's just so taboo and attached to so much shame and the damage that it causes young women that they don't even, they don't have any more worth. I'm a Christian and I talk about sex. I think everybody should talk about it. We should explore our bodies. Um, I love sex. We all love sex. Um, so let's all just talk about it a little bit more. Ever since the fall of Eve, we put women in a category of harlot, temptress, this person who um, evokes temptation. And I think that 
we don't really understand or have been afforded the opportunity to understand what comes with sexuality. Yes, power and ability to shape culture in men comes with the sexuality that's harnessed in us, but we haven't been able or taught how to utilize it for a positive way. So as you can see, a lot of people, especially the women that I spoke to, were wrestling with this idea of shame and being ashamed to talk about it, being ashamed to express their sexuality, which I think is super sad, right? Because it's like a natural part of life. Um, and a lot of Christians who are in the church, like I grew up uh, with the mama who's a bishop, like we just, we don't want church people to judge us. And so we don't talk about it. But again, that also leads to shame and misinformation not having information. In fact, when I was getting ready for this podcast, I spoke with my older sister, who is also a minister, and I said, well, when did mommy and daddy talk to you about sex? And she said, well, mommy did. And she said, you know, don't have sex before marriage. And then when I went off to Howard University, she said, well, just have sex with somebody that you love. And and I was like, dang, I didn't even get that. You know, I didn't even get none of that. I think as her third and last child, she was like, girl, just, you know, I'm just pray for you. I don't know. She didn't give me nothing. So I really wanted to have this conversation because I think it's important for young women especially, and, and even older women, because there are some women who are still you know, grappling with their sexuality and talking about sex um, and topics around it. So I think it's really important for us uh, to talk about it. And to help me figure this out, I have asked two thought leaders <laughs> to help me figure this out and I just want to introduce them the right way because they deserve all of all of it um and so my very first guest on my on the very first episode of the podcast is Minister Gabby Kujo Wilkes who is actually my future cousin hey what up fam <laughs> yes because I have engaged her cousin shout out to Anton love you boo um and so she is a pastor brand strategist and event planner she has spent over 10 years in media and entertainment working at companies such as BET. Y'all, she was a publicist for Matthew Knowles, so you know Beyonce? I mean, not really. Okay. It's a long story. I'm, I'm sensitive about that. Okay, all right. We ain't going, oh, Jesus, Matthew, what you done did? Um, E1 Music and New York-based PR firm Plan A Media, and she is the founding co-lead pastor of the new church, The Double Love Experience, and... She is smart, y'all. She's a graduate of Yale Divinity School, New York University, and the other HU. Did you really? Before I even can talk, you stayed at my school? First of all, I didn't even go to Howard. I don't even know why I'm acting like this. You know what I'm saying? Like The disrespect. No, I went to University of Maryland, College Ooh. Park. Go Terps. <laughs> like, but my mama and my sister went there. You ain't right with so. all these blue and white mics looking in my face. Like, you really could have done me better. Though. I'm so sorry, girlfriend. I'm sorry, but thank you so much for being here. No, so happy to be here. Yes, and my very second guest. Y'all might have seen her byline a few times on the internet, but her name is Candace Marie Bimbo. She's a theologian and an essayist um, who her work um, talks about the intersections of beauty, faith, feminism, and culture. She's also the creator of the super viral Lemonade Syllabus, and she penned the powerful essay 443 following the release of Jay-Z's Trash. Just kidding. <laughs> Hi, Jay-Z. Please invite me to all your events. Um, Jay-Z studio album 444. Her work can be found on Essence.com and Essence Magazine and other magazines that shall remain nameless because I work at Essence and, you know, forget them. <laughs> But in 2015, Candace also created the Red Lip Theology, a movement to encourage young black women to embrace their whole selves 
as good creation. Ooh, that's a good place to start. Um, and so you guys, I wonder, when was the first time that you, as a young Christian woman, spoke about sex? Like, when did you first talk about it? Um, for me, uh, the first time I talked about it was actually uh, sixth grade hmm. when um, my mother was on our pastoral search committee. And, you know, church folk, mm-hmm. folks were mad because things weren't going the way that they thought it should go. And they sent a letter home, basically, uh, it was a handwritten letter to my mother saying that they didn't feel like she should be on the search committee because there were other women who followed God's law more than she did because she was an unmarried, unwed, single mom. Oh, wow. And so that was actually the first conversation, not only, like, about my father, but about how I got here. So, Mm um... You know, my mother was a nurse, and so uh, we had this conversation about her falling in love with my dad and then being intimate and having me. And so when I asked about sex, there is a, and I cannot find it because I want it so bad, there's a (laughs) DVD called, I mean, there was a VHS called Who Am I Now? Hmm, mm -hmm. And it detailed the reproductive system. That sounds scary. It was (laughs) terrifying. And my mom, before she made me watch this, we read the creation story, and then she put the video in, pressed play, and walked out the room. Oh, gosh. And then came, the video showed a baby being born. Like a real, like a coming out of the. Baby, everything coming out, oh, placenta, no. after, like oh, all of that. No. And then she came back in and was like, do you have any questions? And I said, no, ma'am. And she said, so that means you're supposed to wait until you get married. And I, that literally. So she spoke to you about sex, like via fear. <laughs> Listen, that literally was the, was the talk. That was a talk. At least you had a talk. I no, it wasn't. It was a deep, it was a She DHS, had a video. <laughs> she had a don't you you better not. That's crazy. For her to be single, but that was <laughs> literally um and it came the conversation was born out of this church moment, but I remember that vividly as the first time we ever talked about sex. Eesh. How about you, Gabby? So, like you both, I also grew up in church. So, I think it was inferred, but rarely said, that you were supposed to wait until marriage. It was just kind of like mm-hmm. this cultural thing until about middle school, like you, Candace. I think I was seventh grade, and we had it wasn't a sex ed class. It was a class that like one of the days talked about sex, mm-hmm. and I I remember um, at the same time there were like these true love waits, you know, moments, and so there were other students in the class who had these like true love weights rings and bands and so they start oh, wow. talking about oh well in my church you know we're gonna wait until da 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 and you know I'm a daughter of a minister so I was always in church mm-hmm. um but we we didn't culturally like force that like we weren't walking around with the kind of like what would Jesus do and all that all that right. merch like just missed us we we, we didn't right. have that but there was this kind of just like understated expectation um and I really can't remember like it ever being utterly said like directly until like I got older Mm -hmm. you know and we're talking like you know abstain but if you don't abstain be safe and you know that kind of stuff but from a very young age I don't remember it being said but I always kind of had it somewhere in my head right so where did you go for that education Right, because I know where I went. I'll tell I'll tell myself first, <laughs> but I remember we never had the conversation. I remember my father trying to have the birds and the bees conversation. I think when I was very young, maybe like eleven or twelve, 
and he, you know, he's like, Joy, do you know what the birds and the bees are? And I was like, yes. Yeah. So the birds, they're, they fly in the nest. And the <laughs> bees, they're like, you know, the bullies. And they, and it was like, I interpreted that story all wrong. I thought it was about like friendship and like, so he was like, okay. Like <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, he never explained it. He felt left off, let he off was, the hook. Like, all he right, was good. like, okay, so she's not ready for this conversation. But I do remember in middle school, like around eighth grade, I started to hear, like I went to, I was like one of five black girls in my school so there's a lot of a lot of I was around a lot of white girls who were I think more sexually advanced I'm just in my experience and they were like you don't know what head is and I was like no like no like so I and and so it was already I felt like dag maybe maybe I should know about this like maybe like why why am I you know now I'm made to feel a different way um, and then people would say, oh, she's doing it and she's doing it. And well, if you do it, you know, if you do it unprotected, have a bath because you won't get pregnant. Like these were the things. Yes. Child. Wow. These were the things that were, te- that people were telling other young women. So I definitely got a lot of misinformation and just like dumb information. But where did y'all get y'all information from? Yeah. So for me, I think, I think it was the same with you is that like, so part of my middle school was spent at a white Christian school. Mm-hmm. And that literally was when I was introduced to what we know as purity culture, right? So like, Gabby, when you were saying that the what would Jesus do bracelets and all of that skipped us at church, it skipped me at my church. Mm-hmm. But it caught you but at school. But it caught me at school, mm-hmm. right? It so, missed me altogether. <laughs> so like, we were sitting, like, whatever I didn't hear about sex in at girls club or whatever like I literally heard it at school and they literally passed around a porn so in school there was a porn I was one of them that saw it and so my first like wow ever seeing (laughs) sex was a we would literally sneak that little video (laughs) in our book bag y'all are bad come on VHS (laughs) and I and I will never forget because at the time my mom and I lived in a townhouse and her, our, the TV, because we only had one TV, it was downstairs. And I literally would, like, wait until, like, I heard her upstairs oh sleep God. to, like, watch it. You bold. I'd be nervous as I get no. out. No. <laughs> and I, and, and it, it, what, what was scary, when I think about it now, is that I was getting my, I was getting these mixed messages, right? So, mm-hmm. like, purity culture, particularly in the instance where I was this, like, all white. I was the I was the only black girl, and it was the one black boy there. Mm-hmm. Like it was all about marrying Jesus. That like that like your relationship mm. and your purity was committed to Jesus. Um, ironically enough, we did have true love weights, and then we had the rings. But my mama would not let me participate. Like they, I wonder why she to, wouldn't let you participate. She would not let me participate. When I participated in True Love Waits, it was when I was a grown adult and stupid mm. with a patiently Not waiting. stupid. Which is funny because that's when my mother was like, so what we're not going to do is like when you're of age, you're not going to have a band on your wedding finger like you are. Yeah, I'm superstitious <laughs> too. Yeah. So. I had one. It yeah. said it was engraved and it said patiently waiting. And I thought I was just the bee's knees. Now, I kept taking it off. A lot of times. And um, I was like, just just keep it off. But, like, that, it was hearing about it with girls who were saying the stuff that they were doing. Mm. And half the time, they were lying. Right. Um, And nobody had any, like, if you kissed a boy, you got pregnant. If, Mm -hmm. If a boy 
fingered you, touched you, like you could, you know, get it. It's like it was all of these, like, like you could get AIDS if a boy touched you down there. Like it was Dang. all of this crazy stuff that yeah. we heard that was not at all true, but was also used as like the shroud of like they was supposed to scare us away. Right. Versus like you know these. A, a much more responsible mm-hmm. conversation that said, like, you know, you don't need to have sex. These are the things that happen. You're not resp- You're not old enough versus, you know, letting us just, you know, work around sixth grade with a porn tape. That's crazy. And I hate that you feel that way because when you are scared and then you do find yourself in an intimate situation oh, that yeah. you may or it's may not be worst. ready for, yeah. yeah, you're, like, disempowered. You are anxious and that... That situation's already vulnerable, whether right. you're ready for it or not, right? Exactly. And to, to add on top of that, this idea that you don't know what you're doing or what I'm doing is wrong, it really puts, especially young girls, in a very vulnerable position to be taken advantage of or right. to do things that they don't want to do um, or even um, not go far enough, right? Like in some instances. So that that's the, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I mean, for me, like that story that you shared when I was in, I think I was ninth grade, ninth grade, um, there was like one of my friends was like came into the, you know, hallway crying or whatever. And she was like, you know, like everybody's saying I gave him head and I didn't. And I didn't realize how naive I was. I didn't know what it was. Right. So I was like, knowing my friend is, you know, that moment where you try to front like, you know, but you really don't. So like, so I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm like trying to ask my other friends what it is. And they're like, you don't know. I'm like, you know, so I was I was the kid that was I really did not ask a lot of questions. Like Mm -hmm. I was very quiet. Um, I pretty much grew up like an only child because my my sister's 15 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So I was always around adults. I preferred being around adults when Mm -hmm. I was younger. And so I would just be that quiet kid in the corner, you know, what do they say, like small ears, small corns have big ears or whatever it is. Like I was always listening, Mm -hmm. processing, and then I would like try to make meaning. And this is like before Google. So I I don't know how I was making meaning. But I would try to make meaning myself of whatever it was I heard because I was always so ashamed to ask a dumb question, right? Mm -hmm. So when I got to high school, and similarly, I was in, private white Christian school up until eighth grade Mm -hmm. and then in ninth grade I had like begged my mother to please let me go like I was like begging to go to public school which I know sounds weird but I was no because yeah and so like my older sister found a magnet school which like satisfied my mother which was like you know academically rigorous but it was a public school and I was like yes Mm -hmm. and so when I got into that environment we were I'm from Dallas and so we're like southern culture like southern like college bands like um like performance bands that was us and so I was in the band that is where I got introduced to everything. Yeah, the band, the band. We were, I mean, this, band. Is, this was literally the 9-9 and the 2000. Yes. So we were legit, yes. like, cash money taking yes. over and, like, you yeah. know, like, everything was sexual. And so mm. everything we did performance-wise was sexual. Mm. And so to go from, like, not even knowing what questions right. to ask right. to it's literally my duty to, like, be sexual so that mm. we can win our, like, battle of the bands and everything else, like... It was like night and day, and my mother would be the one like shutting down stuff. Like, oh no, this is too. It was crazy. But my introduction, I never. When you say where do we go to ask that question, I didn't really ask, but I just got thrown into that culture, and I realized how behind I was. And that's at like fourteen, fifteen, and I realized how behind I was because most of my friends who were in that school had really. It was sixth and seventh grade where they had done their experiment, and so by ninth grade, tenth grade. 
they they, they thought they were pros, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, which we know that not to be true. <laughs> and so I think is is shame useful like in the body of Christ because a lot of people maybe don't ask questions or don't investigate sec- their sexuality because they are ashamed to talk about it. And I've always um, grappled with this idea of shame and how it like shape shifts us, how it makes right. us different, how it makes us hide certain things about ourselves. So is it like a is it useful? Right. I don't think so now at this stage of my life. But when I was in my teens and early twenties, I completely subscribed to shame culture. Mm. You know, I was. I definitely felt like I knew like the black and white of what was right and wrong. I was that friend who was like, y'all know y'all ain't supposed to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So then I turned into that friend that folks wouldn't tell me what they were up to because they didn't want to hear my mouth. Yep. I was all of that and very scarred and really like had to relearn how to do friendships as an adult because I was such a horrible friend wow. in high school in the beginning parts of college because I had been formed in shape cult- shame culture, which right. is this kind of like, it's my duty to expose, it's my duty to tell you know, I'd rather you be mad at me than for you to go to hell. Like, right. all of this just mm-hmm. harmful stuff. And um, I say now, as an adult in my early 30s, no, shame culture is, like, a tool of, like, really irresponsible, like, insecure leaders who can't handle questions, right? Wow. So they don't want to respond to your questions. They don't want to have to be pushed in a way that they don't have a black or white answer, so they shame you, right? Because with shame, there's little logic with shame. It's just like, right. feel this, embrace mm-hmm. this uh, feeling of less than, this insecurity, whatever, whatever. So I think it's a manipulative tactic, but it has worked for so long, especially with black folks. Um, and, you know, I'm ashamed of being a part of shame culture, mm-hmm. you know, when I was younger, but, yeah, not anymore. Yeah, I think um, it almost depends on who you ask. Right. So like um, there's this I'm thinking I'm thinking about this in terms of like pick me, you know, pick me women and the women who um, and these messages that get pushed to us uh, that I call relationship theology. Right. That that shame us into becoming a kind of woman that does not, you know, that does not get the brunt of what we say society gives black women, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can be, I can be shamed into thinking that everything emotionally that is happening to me is my fault. And that shame can push me to have some really honest questions about who I am. And it might push me to be better, but the root of what took me there can't keep me there. Right. right. You know? And so that becomes the danger. Right. Like I want I want to be better. I want to be pushed to be better. But I think that what happens with regarding shame when it comes to sex and shame is that when you root it in this inferiority, when you root it in this danger of thinking that you are you have somehow like I, I, I cannot I've, I've been thinking about this all week, but. The years that I thought that I was just disgusting to God. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. that's a lot to carry. Mm-hmm. It's a whole lot. And yeah. people will give it to you in hopes that it will make you be something better. Versus mm-hmm. saying to you, you know, God loves you this much. God, you know, that there, that the depths of God's love 
should be met with your intention to be your best self. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different conversation. Absolutely. Yes. A whole different conversation. So I think, so part of the danger of shame is that it pushes you to think a different way, but the, the root of and the vehicle that got you there can't keep you. Right. And it becomes a very, like, works-driven theology where, like, right. because you check this off the list, you know, you're, quote-unquote, better than, which is why you get these, like, really, like, God-complex Christians who exactly. feel like they are better than others because they've done the opposite of whatever the shame mm -hmm. produces, exactly. um, which is still incorrect, right? So then you have right. these folks walking around, like, puffed up, like, you know, I'm super Christian, I'm super this, I'm super that, I'm the one that's really following God. And it's, like, at the root of our theology, like, it's actually not supposed to matter what you do, good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you, like, go to the root of what we say theologically about God, God, it's not about like checking off certain things on a list, but shame culture pushes people into that list checking. And whenever you don't measure up to getting everything checked off a list, like you're less than. Mm -hmm. Well, I, since you're the minister in the room, I got to ask you this because I've, I've always wondered this because people always bring this conversation back to the Bible. Well, the Bible says, the Bible says, and we love to pick and choose, mm -hmm. right? Like what we, what yes. the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And so as a young Christian and I, and and I thank, you know, thank God for my mom because she allowed me to ask these questions. Like, she never got annoyed. Um, so I was always, I was like, so did Jesus really roll the stone away? I mean, wasn't he tired after three days? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so I would always ask these questions. But my question is, like, you know, if the Bible says, you know, tattoos are bad, eating meat is bad, all these things are bad, why do we put so much pressure on this, on this sex part? You know, and if God is supposed to love us, and if he already knows our hearts, right, so he already knows what we're about to do. Mm -hmm. So what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. Or should we or should we be making it a big deal? Maybe I'm may, maybe not making it a big enough a big enough deal. I don't know. Right. No, I mean I think I think I definitely hear what you're saying. So, you know, for instance, with this whole, you know, the purity culture we were talking about, it's like um, I was reading something somewhere and it was saying how, you know, we put almost the be all end all of what it means to be Christian on like what you're doing sexually. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. not about like feeding the sick or, you know, showing up for people or embodying love. Like it all became about like what you're doing, you know, in your bedroom. And I think, I think that, I think that sex is such a conversation that like is so captivating, right? Like people just can't like look away. Like whenever right. that conversation comes up in any context that I think that um, it is one that has dominated so much of Christian culture because, you know, the idea of like, who's sleeping with who and who's doing what, like, it's just, like, salacious, right? Mm -hmm. Like, everybody everybody cares, right? Um, but I think it's problematic that so much of folks' identity, um, when they decide, you know, to be Christian, um, gets, gets connected to, gets connected to what they choose to do sexually, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, I remember... Uh, I used to serve at a church, and the person before me who served in my position was single. And so when I took the position, I was married. And I noticed a cultural difference in the people that showed up and their comfort. Because I was married, they felt okay, like, bringing their person they're talking to or a person they're dating. Like, I, I worked really hard to try to make it not a big deal. Because if you... Um, 
a lot of church culture, like if you show up with somebody you're talking to, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, so and so brought so and so, his future husband, future wife, and so and so even that, right? Not even talking about sex, but just like partnership in general becomes very taboo. And so I realized that like a lot of people were uncomfortable with saying like I'm dating a few people at the same time mm-hmm. and it's not exclusive on purpose because I'm trying to, you know, just be, right? That shouldn't be taboo. But, you know, we make so many things taboo that are connected to dating and sexuality in the church that like we create a space where folks have to literally walk in with a ring, you know, right. to be um to be engaged in conversation that's like healthy and whole. So um, you know, not to go on a tangent, but I think we're obsessed with sex and we're obsessed with relationships because Everyone is, Mm -hmm. but I don't think we should try to connect so much of people's Christian identity to what they do relationally. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I feel a lot better. Do y'all think sex is allowed for Christians, premarital sex? (laughs) Candace is over here rolling her eyes. (laughs) No, it's it's funny because, I mean, I'm going to say yes because um, when you look at and and I always get in trouble when I talk about this, but when you look at the story of Ruth and Boaz, right? That um, story. No, no, let's is talk so, about it because I'm because yes, it's so misinterpreted yes, it all is. the time. It is, and so like, here's the thing: <laughs> if you, if your mother-in-law mm-hmm. comes to you and says, "Hey," We live in a society that does not protect single widowed women. The only way we're going to eat is that I need you to go into Boaz's house, into his room, and lay at his feet. If you think (laughs) at any point in time all she did was pray. Right. (laughs) Talk about it. Like... That, that is that that for me becomes this whole notion again of like when we talk about the the beauty of creation that God also gave us minds to critically think right <laughs> that that part of common sense is and then when he like you know basically the next the next verse after everything is over, he like, don't come back. Like, because he knows what he did and that everybody can't know what he did until he can figure out how he can maneuver and finagle Take her from his cousin. Exactly, because he did wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Or the fact that, like, when we we look at the ways that, that Esther comes into becoming queen, right? Like, the king did not spend a night with these women and talk about the constellations and the stars. (laughs) Like, that's not how any, you know, for particularly for the women who left him, left his room and were never called back, became a part of the harem that took care of the queen, right? That he could call back at any point when he wanted them, but they were not his wife. They did not become queen. Like, there are so many stories in scripture that speak to intimacy, physical intimacy and sex being a Rahab is considered one of the one of our faith leaders. Right. In Hebrews, they like sis got a star. <laughs> like sis 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 got a crown, a star. And I crown. mean even Jesus' mama, she wasn't married. Right. 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 Not, we forget about that all right. the time. Jesus' mama was not right. married. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like part of 
I think I think what I think the problem is going back to what Gabby said and what you said earlier is that what Christians want in the Bible is a verse that says you can have sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. And because there are so many other verses that for the benefit of us who have gone and and devoted our time to theological education, we know how some of those verses that we use are one used out of context, have been misinterpreted, misconstrued. So they see, you know, flee from fornication, all of these things, and don't necessarily acknowledge that it's in the context of Paul really trying to say, we need to build a nation and our focus should be building this nation and this community and keeping Christians safe because they're killing us. And so I, you can't really focus on sex right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, so those are those are our real contextual, you know, um, parts and elements of these stories or these narratives that get pushed out, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, there's also the very real reality that we are human beings that have not been called to live in this world isolated from touch right right? and so what does it mean um to to acknowledge that physical intimacy is a necessary part of life that it's good because it was created by god and then what does it mean to say that my life can have and include elements of physical, can include physical intimacy, and I can still be just as saved, just as sanctified, just as filled with the Holy Ghost, and I can still be in the world as I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that the problem is that so many of us think that because we do that one thing, because we were taught that, like you said, our entire salvation hinges on whether or not we're having sex, that they can't see past that. And then when they meet people like us who have seen past that, we are just like, you know, like reprobate heretics that like, you know, are, are on our way to hell. But I, I'm sure there's going to be people that are like, y'all are going to hell. Listen to this podcast. Oh, I get it. We not going though. So I, mm-hmm. I don't even believe in hell. So I know you I'm don't? not going. Mm-mm. That's another podcast. That's a whole other podcast. Like, yeah, oh, for real? I, I don't believe in him. Huh. Um, huh. But, but I do think, though, that the question of physical intimacy for Christians, should it be allowed? I think it's, for me, the question becomes more at the heart of black women's experiences. Hmm. Um, that we have got to find a way to free up black women to invite the ways that love and touch and care can come in. Um, Because there are a lot of sisters Mm -hmm. that are pushing it away because it's not coming in the package that the church told them that it could come in. That is the whole world. That's, yeah. And that's the Mm -hmm. problem. That's a problem. That's a problem, yeah. I think that with those who have the best intention, I am a firm believer that many do not, but those who have the best intention... um, I think try to create systems that protect the people coming behind them, right? So there's a lot of, like, older black women who got so hurt and were so harmed by, insert whatever dude, that sometimes 
they couch things in religion because they think we'll listen more. But it's really like Big Mama just trying to not see you go through what she went through that she never recovered from, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I talk about this a lot, you know, in my own life. You know, I'm a product of a divorce uh, couple. Uh, My parents are divorced. They got divorced when I was five. Um, But my sister is 15 years older than me, and she's uh, going on 23 years of marriage. So I sit at this interesting intersection of looking at two sides of um, just marital stories. And even with that, um, I call it privilege, I still have had to turn off some things that have been shared, you know, by these women who love me, who are also ministers, mm-hmm. um, because of their desire, their loving desire to protect me from trash can mm-hmm. sometimes keep yeah. the very vulnerability away from us that we need to be able to form a healthy relationship. So the relationship that I share with my husband, a lot of the most formative aspects of that relationship, I established against the grain of what some women were telling me about having X, Y, and Z fallback plans, X, Y, and Z, you know, don't give all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That was helpful and useful um, based on their context. And it helped me to think more clearly. Like I I honor their stories because that's how I was able to find my own story. But I do think at least when black women talk to black women about sex, um, I I think a lot of times it's out of fear. Now, when black men talk to black women about sex, I think it's about power and control. And that's why I don't like male preachers telling black women anything about what they can do with their own bodies because I think it often has an alternate manipulative, you know, if you get the women in the church thinking the way the pastor wants, then the pastor can do what the pastor wants Mm -hmm. and all the women will be submissive and that's another podcast too. So I, I, I... you know, I don't I don't I don't really subscribe to black men being able to tell black women what to do with their bodies, Christian or not. Right. But I do think there are layers to why um, when black women sit around, you know, the kitchen table, you know, uh, cracking peas and cooking, mm-hmm. you know, the stories a lot of times are out of a desire to protect. And it's not usually, and that's usually not out of shame. That's usually like, child, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think there's value in that. And I think that as black people, that's how we've survived. You know, that's how we've stayed afloat. Hmm. I love it. Does and you you sort of spoke on this, Gabby? But does the church talk to men and women differently about sex? Absolutely. We know that they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Even even like my story, my mother was supposed to go before the church and apologize. No, she was not. For being pregnant. That's and, crazy. Um my daddy was on was still in the choir stand. Like he like he wasn't sat down. I mean she ne- and and thankfully she refused to apologize because she said I was not a mistake. But I mean just the 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 notion that the woman is supposed to apologize because she, you know, physically is bearing the child, but not the father, right? Mm-hmm. Or just, or the ways that, again, we can sit and we can hear so many sermons about what women need to do, but we've never heard a sermon about what men need to do. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot never, wait. I cannot wait for that one to go viral. Yeah. I'll, be exactly. wait, I'll be looking for it. Like, I've never it doesn't heard exist. Them, I've never heard anybody talk about mm-hmm. a man needing to have the spirit of a husband and not a boyfriend, mm-hmm. right? You know, because that would also mean that you mm-hmm. would have to act a different way. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, but but, but the, the larger piece to that is that at the end of the day, they know that if they can get churched women to believe that 
the the that the that the wellness, the wholeness, and the sanctity of the progression of the black family and the black community depends on them being under alignment of a man. Mm-hmm. They can get anything, right? And so part of that agenda gets fueled and 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 literally takes advantage of black women's vulnerability and desire to be partnered. If we all left here today and said, we each are going to launch a conference that's about women preparing to be wives, it would sell out. It sure would. Absolutely. Like, you know, if we actually wanted to be that trifling and to make money that way, it would sell out. Not because women are so desperate and so, you know, naive, but because the longing is that real. When I tell you, when I when I initially spoke about my book and they would hear the title, women would hear the title, The Engagement Game, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to learn how to get engaged. And yeah. I'd be like, plot twist. <laughs> it ain't about... Such a plot twist. It ain't about, it ain't about that, sis. It's about you. They, they get so disappointed. I've seen so yeah. many long faces and disappointments. And I'm like, dag, like, you don't want to take care of yourself first. You don't think yourself worthy enough to, to fix your heart and all the issues that you have to become a, a, come a wife, maybe, right. Right. or not, right? But they've got so disappointed. It would just, it kind of hurt my feelings mm. a little bit because I'm like, I want, I want more for you. I want more. It's, like, it's not and about a man it's all not, the time. It's mm-hmm. not. And, and, and the, the, the sad part is, is that so many of these pastors and so many of these leaders get platforms on so much on so many large spaces and in so many large spaces that the voices that could help craft a different narrative get drowned out, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're seen as the the you're seen as the antichrist. You're yeah. seen as, you know, this person who you just want to have sex and you just gonna use the word and the Bible and anything to justify what you want. I hear that all the time. And, but when I have these conversations one-on-one with sisters, and I'm like, what is it that you want, right? And then it, it, it actually goes beyond the husband and the family. It is, I want love, and I want a sense of belonging, hmm. and for many, a sense of purpose. They've connected purpose to marriage, mm-hmm. and when you, when you think that you were created to be somebody's wife, when that is not there, you like, what am I supposed to do, right. right? And if we don't have enough conversations that detach that, right, that say, okay, what do you look like if dude never comes? Right. We want dude to come, but what do you look like if dude never comes? Then, two, okay, what does it look like for dude to be in this space and you have a certain kind of, you got a need, he got a need, what does it look like for y'all to express those needs mm-hmm. and 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 you don't you know sit in a cry in a in a room and cry afterwards right express them responsibly exactly exactly yeah yeah you want to chime in on this no i mean i think y'all, I, I think <laughs> y'all like, covered nope. it i i i think that you know the black church I can't speak to the church universal because I just haven't been in that space. I can speak right. to the black church. The black church, you know, is like black culture. It treats men like kings, right? Mm-hmm. And so the approach is typically like, if he's here, I don't want to lose him, so let's mm-hmm. not do anything mm-hmm. to make him run away. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to like, you know, people who, you know, raise their daughters and love their sons. You know, there's this there's this cultural 
you know, thing that we do in our community, which is, you know, we protect black men at all costs. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want them to run away. We don't want them to leave, you know, as a community. Mm -hmm. And so in all of our spaces, we go out of our way to make sure they're good. And so what happens is they can run through however they, whoever they want to run through, however many folks they want to run through. And the elders are still like, oh, but we don't want to lose him. You'll be all right, right, baby. Like, go in the corner. Even the past Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're the worst ones. They're the worst ones. I I done dated a couple, I know. So, you know, I mean, there's a couple exceptions, like my husband, but you know, there's the worst (laughs) ones. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. (laughs) But, But real talk. So I think for me, what frustrates me is that black church and black culture have been Um, so synonymous for so long like finally like in 2019 you know in the past few years we've started to be able to have conversations about you know black culture doesn't mean that you're definitely like in church culture but for so long those two things have been synonymous Mm -hmm. so the way that we treat um, women in the home is usually how we treat women in the church Mm -hmm. and the way that we treat men in the home and in the workplace is how we treat men in the church and so really it it's, it's a problematic way that we're treating men Period. The pedestals that we're putting men in, the passes that we're giving men, the um, the the value that we are communicating to ourselves about whether we're attached to a man or not. And you know, a lot of my work is around like after you're attached, still making sure you have identity. Because I've been with right. my husband for, we've been together 13 years, married for eight, and it's work to have a an identity that is mine, right? And a lot of times, like my friends are the ones in my ear. I brought my friend today, hey Kareen, and they're hey, like Karen. in my ear, like but Gabby, like but Gabby, but Gabby. And so like we don't have a we don't. A lot of times, culturally, we don't have systems that remind women to recover their identity and to to have that, even if you're with a man or not, to still have identity. Mm -hmm. And then these systems like the church couch it in spiritual language, which really uh, handcuff black women who want to kind of be on the right side of history, on the right side of God. So they they choose um, they choose not to offend. They choose not to expose. And when they do, like Candace said, when you tell the truth, not even like make it up stuff. When you tell the truth about what's going on, you get excommunicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been such a good conversation. But before we wrap up this part of the conversation, how can women, uh, Christian women, talk about sex? Like what are some of the ways that we can just have these conversations more often, more positively, where they're not couched in shame um, where you're not to not made to feel like the bad guy or guilty, um, or that you got to pray a thousand times after. So I think I think that um, social media, for all of its quirks and and things, have <laughs> done a really great job of helping to create community among women who are seekers and who are asking questions. So um, I mean. Between like I like read the theology. I'm thinking about you know Danielle Thompson. I mean Thomas at uh, who does Unfit Christian and um, Michelle Gidry. Like there's there's sisters who are online writing about and talking about sex. Um, sometimes we do it much more profoundly and just in your face <laughs> than some people will want us to. Um, but it is an intention to help create the space and the dialogue. So I would encourage um, sisters to to look at women online that you are uh, finding, that you the following. Um, there was a book that really changed everything for me. Um, two books, and I actually say I call them part of uh, the relic theology, like canon. But um, one is called Unprotected Text, T-E-X-T-S by Jennifer Wright Ness. 
And it was about all of what the Bible says about sex. Mm -hmm. And I spent a whole month just like literally trying to be like, okay, well, I mean, well, what does the Bible, like, do I, did I know any, you know? Like, yeah. It helped, it helped to clarify so much for me. Um, the second book was uh, Sexuality in the Black Church by uh, Kelly Brown Douglas. Hmm. Um, yes, we got it on hand today. <laughs> we got it here. Like, beca- because it helped me to understand the context that I was in and the context that I had committed to staying in, right? Hmm. Um, and so I think part of what has to happen is that you have to have sisters who are willing to have the who are willing to approach us to have these conversations in safe space, um, and I, I appreciate that it's happening. You know, like my inbox will get crazy of just like questions that I mean, like I've I've had sisters ask me like, "Well, is the head in the Bible?" And I'm like, "Is it though?" I think I the way that the way that <laughs> oh Jewish culture reads the, a way that there's a reading of Ruth is that that is what Ruth did when oh, it was the okay. uncovering of his feet. So that's a reading. Like there's a consensus she did something, okay. but there's a line, there's a particular like reading that says that that's what what she did. But I think that part of the for me it has been um, to quickly because this one is up is is about the community. Um, of having women who will walk with you on that journey. Um, I would also add, I think that it's important, um, in addition to talking about sex, to talk about sensuality, Mm. which I think is really important. So in church culture, there's this kind of cover it up, um, you know, don't tempt the man culture, whether you're married or not. Mm-hmm. And um, a few years back, I was working with Erica Campbell of Mary Mary, and she had this, like, cover art. It was a white dress, which was really, like, not even... Matter of fact, I think we came to you... I think... Anyway, long story short. Yes. And and literally, there was this large conversation in the church about whether she was dressed... Like, whether the dress was too form-fitting, whether it was too sexy, right? And she... And I remember this was right before I went to seminary, so... I had like two sides of this conversation in my head, which is the pre-seminary conversation and the post-seminary conversation, which was after I got introduced to Kelly Brown Douglas, where I was like, oh, there is language for this. But basically, um, it turned into a big conversation about sensuality, right? Um, Not even sex, because obviously people in the church are fine with married folks having sex, clearly, Mm -hmm. but they still were uncomfortable with anything that reminded them of, of women being sexual, Right. So you have men who wear these super fitted suits in the pulpit, which is basically being sexual for them. Right. Which gives them attention, but nobody cares. Mm -hmm. But you have a woman who walks in with like a dress that shows her curves. And all of a sudden, like she's insert every expletive, even if she is, you know, um, married or what have you. So so for me, I think I would add, in addition to the conversation about sex that Candace mentioned, that's so important. I think we also need to just talk in general about what it means to be sexual beings, what it means to continually explore our sexuality um, because that's connected to how you show up in relationships, period. And there's this idea that you can like turn it off everywhere else and turn it on when you're with your partner. And that's just not true. Not like true. if you are conditioned to for this to be, you know, something that's negative and something that's not accepted and that's not becoming and blah, 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 blah 
you don't just turn that off, right? And, and we don't talk about that, which is, you know, how we how we condition women. You know, a lot of these women, even when they get into their marriages, you know, they struggle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those marriages don't make it. And, you know, then we put the blame so of divorce on them. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that comes from this conditioning. Like, it doesn't just go away. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. And only one other name that I wanted to lift up is um, LaVon Piku, who is a good friend of mine. Um, and she just was uh, in a in an article and they were talking about like purity culture and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she talks about how it's not sexuality that's harmful. It is the, um, the vilification, the, the villainization of sexuality. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, we have vilified something that's natural. And, um, I think that's the conversation that, you know, we have to keep having it. We can't stop having the conversation after people get married. And we've got to figure out what the conversation is for those that don't choose to get married, that don't get married. You know, what is their lot in life when it comes to sexuality and intimacy? Mm, I love that. I love that. And for those of us who are new to the podcast, and everybody is because it's our first episode, hey, <laughs> um, each episode we are going to ask, uh, I have asked my Instagram followers if they had any questions about the topic, Christians and sex. And I did get a lot of amazing responses today because I'm last minute. That's okay. Um, and so I'm going to read. And I hope that you women can help me answer this question because, you know, I am no expert, but I have tons of questions. Um, and I told people that I was going to be discreet, so I ain't going to call this young lady out. <laughs> so we just go and call her girl. Um, and yeah, so I'm going to read her question and y'all going to help me answer. Okay. Down? Okay. She says, hi, Joy Marie. I can't wait to read the engagement game. I can't wait for you to read it either. Um, she said, here are my questions. How do you suggest celibacy to someone you're dating? How do you even start that conversation? Is it blatant or gradual? Do you mention celibacy with someone you're interested in, even if you're on the fence about it? Like, I'm not sure if I'm only celibate because I don't have any options right now or it's something I plan on carrying through until I'm married. So um, I think that there are two, two different inherent questions in there or two inherent situations in there. And so the first one, I think that um, for me, um, I will say that I think it's important that before conversations, uh, before any relationship gets to a point of physical uh, contact, you have to have a conversation about celibacy, if that is your plan, right? I think that it's fair, not only to you, but to your partner, that you let them know that that's something that you want to do. It's funny that she asked, should this be blatant? Because a lot of times, going back to what Gabby said earlier, we're taught not to ask questions in case, you know, it might scare them off. Yeah, mm-hmm. scare them away, mm-hmm. right? This has to be a blatant conversation. Like, you look good, I look good, <laughs> I want to wait until my wedding night. You down? That's <laughs> right. And here's the thing because we're grown, that you, the other person has the right to say that's not something that I want to do. I want to have a part of my a part of my relationship, or they can say I I fully agree, or they can say you know I'm willing to explore this with you. I'm willing to to see where this can go with you. Um, what we have to understand as women, and this is painful, that just because we want to engage in celibacy does not mean that the other person is obligated to do it with us. Mm. That's a hard pill to swallow. Um, it also means that 
if that is something that we're committed to, we need to hold fast to that and not just give it up because we don't want this relationship to go south. Because nine times out of ten, whether we give it to them or not, they still gonna do it. Right. Right. Um, but the larger question, though, is a question that a lot of sisters wrestle with: is am I celibate because I just ain't got nobody, or am I celibate because I want to be? I think that that is work that we have the privilege of doing while we are by ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So that. I had to ask myself that question when I was going through a period where I was like, am I celibate, like, by default? And and that, for me, part of those questions become, if I am in relationship with someone, if someone was to come tomorrow and it's a great relationship, we're vibing, it's a good dude, would I want to experience intimacy with them? If the answer is yes, that I am celibate right now because I ain't got nobody. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. If the answer is no, that like I I want this commitment, but I also want to hold fast to something that is near and dear to me for whatever reason, then the answer is that I'm celibate by choice. I think that we have to, we have to part of part of what sisters have to do is be willing to ask themselves the deep, ugly you know, hard questions mm-hmm. that expose the parts of them, right? Because some of us are are celibate by default. Um, and that doesn't make, I don't think it makes it any less viable, but I do think that it means that, that we be honest about what it is that we really want. And if physical intimacy, if touch is something that we really want, it's okay to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Um, I go back to girlfriends. Y'all remember girlfriends? TV I show? love My girlfriends. So remember, Lynn had that period of time where she was celibate mm-hmm. because uh, old dude she was with was celibate, and you know she was mad about it at first, but she really liked him. She still stayed in it. Blah, blah, blah. And then I think he ended up. Did they break up or something like that? But basically, mm-hmm. something happened with that relationship. But then she still held to it for a little bit. And that example comes to mind as random as it is, because I think it's I think it's really, really important as grown women, like not teenagers, but grown women to decouple this question from your Christianity for a second. Right. Um, And for some listening, like they just stopped listening. But please stay in the conversation (laughs) with me. Decouple it from who you are as a Christian for a minute, because so many of us. Um, say that we're going to be celibate because, you know, that's what's pleasing to God, right? And then when you meet someone who is a Christian who's having sex and, you know, they good with God, then you're all like, well, you know, you're all unsure about the choices you've been making, right? So I so I personally would say, first of all, decouple it from um, your Christianity. And that's why Lynn comes to mind because in the show, she's like this agnostic, like free Mm -hmm. spirit. Like it has nothing to do with her religious beliefs and everything to do with who she is. And, and this, and the reason why I say that is because sex is different for different people. So it's culturally like cool to say that sex is not a big deal because you know, that's what we're saying. But for a lot of people, if they're honest, like whoever you slept with, like that person stays on you. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you know that you yourself are not in a place to just be out there sleeping with folks and it not affecting like your ability to show up in life to show up in um 
in space, right, then you need to make a decision that that is right for you, right? And, and that goes back to shame culture. You don't have to use shame to say, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't do that. Just just think about yourself, like, whether you're Christian or not, like, I'm not in a place to be because if I'm sleeping with somebody, it's going to have me going through X, Y, and Z emotions that I'm not ready for, that I don't want to deal with if I don't know where this person is, and vice versa. If you are, you know, someone who's a much more, like, sexual person where you can have sex with somebody and get up and go to work and nothing happen, right, then your decision may be different because it may not affect you in the same way. So I think that if we decouple it from, you know, what we have been taught to believe about what God says about our sexuality, then you can get one answer. Then attach your Christian identity to to it. Mm -hmm. And based on how you read scripture and based on what you know about God, what does that then do to the an- the honest answer you just gave yourself? Because I, I don't think we can answer that question with both identities um, coupled together and really get an honest answer. Mm. And so I think that if you decouple it first and then really think clearly like, okay, well, what do I really believe God is saying to me about my life, my body, you know, my decisions, you know, and do that work, as Candace said, hopefully before somebody comes along, but if not before they come along, you know, maybe after a date or two where you realize you're really feeling them, like do that work as early as you can because that's just work that needs to be done, period. And then, you know, certain people, you go on one date and y'all have 12 hours of time together, you feel very comfortable with them, right? And so then then you got to do the additional work of like, okay, this person is here. I feel really comfortable with them. I'm really attracted to them. Mm-hmm. What am I doing with that? So for me, I think it takes stages. I think if we're talking again about de- uh, de- detaching shame, it means you do this process as many times as you need to. Maybe every right. time somebody new enters your life, you do this process again, and you may land in different places based on what's yeah. going on in your personal life, who right. they are, where you are with God, where you are with life, right? Like I know just on a personal level, like there are some times where like I can't even entertain certain friendships sometimes mm. because my friends, yeah. like certain <laughs> friends will take certain things from me right. when I'm already low, right? So I make decisions about yes. friends when I'm like in a low place and, and one little thing can send me into three more months of depression. Like I can't rock with you today, just right? come back later. Yeah, so, it's, so I think we need to make the conversation broader. And, and it goes back to my point about we put so much in emphasis on who people are sleeping with. It's a bigger conversation about where we are mentally, socially, physically, emotionally, and how this person is going to add or not add to our lives. Right. And I think it's also important to say that you can choose to be celibate and then not choose to mm-hmm. be celibate. Like mm-hmm. exactly. That's my testimony. Mm-hmm. Because, and I write about this in the book, there was a point in my dating life where I was dating, you know, a lot of people at the, not having sex with them. Okay, let me just make that clear. But I was mm-hmm. dating a lot of people, but then I needed to focus on myself mm-hmm. and all of the things I was running away from by going out on these dates and traveling and working so hard. And so I chose a moment in my life where it was just me. It was, it was beyond celibacy. It was, I'm not even dating right, right, these right. people. I need to really, truly focus on myself. And so, and then when I met um Anton I was like all right I'm good you know but I had done the work like I had used that time as an opportunity to dig deeper into what the things that I needed to work on Mm -hmm. um and And the opposite can be true too right like you can say like yeah like let's go and then you can decide into it like actually no you know like when we talk about like consent you Mm. know consent matters like whenever that stop or that no is offered even if you said earlier like you were down to be physical like if that changes you have the right to change your mind you have that right um, so I hope that answered your question, girl. Um, and tell the people where they can find you uh, if they're looking on the socials. So on Facebook, um, I don't even 
pictures on Facebook because I'm about to do Me it, either. Um, I'm over it. I'm so over it. Mm-hmm. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, it's my name. So it's at Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-B-E-N-B-O-W. Um, and my blog is CandiceBimbo.com. Wonderful. On Instagram and Twitter, it is at Gabby C. Wilkes, G-A-B-B-Y-C-W-I-L-K-E-S. And y'all follow our new church because that's where all my energy is going. So our new church is in Brooklyn, New York, and that is at Double Love Experience on Instagram um, and at Double Love NYC on Twitter. And um, the best website for me is the church website because that's where all my energy is going. So www, thank you, girl, www.doubleloveexperience.org. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you women being the first uh, guest on the podcast. Thank you. So this was like beyond. Uh, I really hope you guys got a lot out of the conversation because I did. And if you want to join the conversation, just, you know, hashtag, use the hashtag, the engagement game on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, because, you know, we're going to be looking and seeing the comments that you have and try to incorporate them a little bit later. And if you have a question about the book or dating, relationships, sex, whatever, feel free to hop into my DMs on Instagram. That's where I be. I am at Joy Marie Wright. That is J-O-I Marie Wright. Thank y'all for joining us. And this has been the Engagement Game, the podcast.